Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Jay Stevens Podcast. This is episode number 96, dedicated to a man who, without him, I would not be in this world. Yes, today is my dad's birthday, May the 25th. Mr. Julius Stevens, and as always, thank you for listening and downloading to the episode of the podcast. On today's episode, we have part two of my conversation with Mr. Cody Gwynn as we recap The Last Dance. Now, Cody and I recorded this a day after episodes 9 and 10 of The Last Dance aired on ESPN and ESPN2. So, Cody and I got, it was still fresh in our minds, trying to recap this docu-series, which was phenomenal. They did a phenomenal job with that. If you have not listened to episode number 95, which is part one of the conversation that Cody and I had, I would suggest to you... Pause this right here. Pause episode 96 right here. Go back and listen to episode number 95 to get the full context, to figure out where we started, to how we got to this point in the conversation. Finish that and then come back to episode 96. Trust me, you will not be disappointed. And I have to say one more thing very quickly, because if I did not, I would feel like I would be skipping something that's very vital to the podcast. The podcast hotline is always open, 850-462-5442. Once again, the podcast hotline is always open, 850-462-5442. And you may be wondering, Jay, what is a podcast hotline? This is not a live show. I cannot talk back to you. Well, that, my friend, is where you are wrong. The podcast does have a hotline. It's where you could talk back to me, the host, and you never know your voice may be featured on a future episode of the podcast. So call in, leave your question, your comment, your concern, your critique, whatever it is you want to say, hang up that phone. Remember when you call in, leave your name and where you're from up front, and then say whatever it is you have to say. You never know. Your voice may be featured here on the Jay Stevens Podcast. So in case you missed it before, I'll say the number once again, 850-462-5442. The podcast hotline is always open. Let's go ahead and take a trip to Greenville, Tennessee to enjoy part two of my conversation with Mr. Cody Gwynn as we recap The Last Dance. Speaking about somebody that didn't envy, not saying a lifestyle, but Michael Jordan, a guy named Reggie Miller. And a guy that people nowadays, when you look at Reggie, he's a skinny guy. He's on TNT calling games with Kevin Harlan or Marv Marv Albert, two of the best play-by-play men in the game. And that 98 Eastern Conference Finals, as a Pacers fan, we 100% believed we were taking down the Bulls. You may say, Jay, you're crazy. Why are you rocking your home team? Hey, no, no, no. If you go back and look at that and Reggie Miller, Jalen Rose, and I wish, man, because I love Jalen Rose. I think he's a great personality. I wish they would have given, given Jalen Rose way more airtime to just get his thoughts out because I love the way that he portrays his thoughts on the camera or for the camera, that is. But, man, going into that, you had the Davis boys. You had Rick Smith. Say whatever you want about Rick Smith. He was a, he was a problem. Shaq didn't like going up against Rick Smith. When you look at, it, look at the 2000, the 2000 um, NBA Finals, yes, the Lakers won 4-2. But Rick Smith gave Shaq problems. Mm-hmm. There aren't many guys out there that gave Shaq problems, and Rick Smith was one of them. Mark Jackson, one of the best point guards to play in the NBA. Jalen Rose, Reggie Miller. It seemed like that was the team to take them down. But Michael Jordan, when it was needed, he got his team in the right position, and of course, Steve Kerr had to hit another big shot, and the rest is history. That Eastern Conference Finals, what do you remember from that moment in your life? Well, one of the big things about that Indiana team was they were built 
to beat Chicago. That was one of the key things that they were, I mean, they had everything in place from Mark Jackson to Reggie Miller to the size they acquired where they can have guys go one-on-one down low with the likes of Dennis Rodman and Luke Longley and Scottie Pippen and have a rotation. That was the big thing about Indiana. And there was a, there was a, a, a good amount of teams that were, you know, built to beat Chicago, even going back to the early Orlando magic days, which I wish personally, they talked more about the Orlando team because they were built to beat Chicago. You know, Mike, well, Mike wasn't going to allow that. My, no. This was all, this is all Mike's doing. <laughs> yeah. He was not allowing that. I, I, I told it to my wife too. I was like, you notice how he didn't mention Penny Hardaway's name, Penny Hardaway's name once because <laughs> Penny Hardaway was one of the few guys that could, that really did not have a lot of trouble against Michael Jordan, but that Indiana team was built for the matchup with Chicago. So I agree with you. I, I think looking back, you know, Indiana probably sh- maybe not should have been the favorite because I think you would give Chicago the favorite based on what, you know, Reggie Miller referred to as that championship pedigree. They knew how to deal with those situations and knew how to win. And when you look at it, it's 100% true. I also think you got to factor in Larry Bird. And, and one of the crazy things is he's Larry Legend. He's, he's a, uh, one of the greatest of all times. But he was so new to coaching, you almost wonder how a different coach, a more experienced It was his first year as a head coach. Yeah, yeah. And it was such a new experience for him. And, I mean, even in terms of his emotion, where he was still trying to – he was still thinking of things like a player. And in some aspects, that's good. But in other aspects, you're kind of like, oh, man, you, do you want to see – I just wonder how Indiana would have done if they had a more experienced coach and, and all the credit in the world to Larry Bird. He's, he's been great at almost everything he's ever done in terms of playing coaching and being an executive. But, you know, I think Indiana was a team. I mean, and you see that a lot, a lot of teams that are built to beat almost one certain teams in terms of, you know, Miami, you know, stacking up their team to beat San Antonio and over the years, Detroit building up to make sure they have everything that they could go against the Lakers. And I think Indiana more so than Utah, Utah had a squad, man. They were, they were built so well. And I put on Twitter that that Utah team, that Utah, I don't even know. I really want to call it a dynasty. It's a, it's like a Utah jazz dynasty that just never really won anything. But in terms of how well put together that team was with Jerry Sloan as coach, that's one of the greatest teams of all time where you could pick them up and drop them in another era. And they, they probably win at least one title. It's just unfortunate that they had to continuously run into the Chicago Bulls. But I think Indiana was one of those teams where they had so many great pieces. They were built to match up with Chicago perfectly. But I think Reggie Miller, you know, of course, Reggie Miller was very honest about his take on his skill level and about going against Michael Jordan. But I think he said one of the most honest things in the show was Chicago was not in, not impossible to match up with and not impact and not impossible to be competitive with. But no other team could match their championship pedigree because exactly no no one else had won. No one else had winning experience against Michael Jordan, the Chicago Bulls, because they won all the time. So I think that was one of the biggest things. It's it's hard to overcome that. It's hard to beat a team that knows how to win and knows how to win on that stage. Yes, and you know, you're saying the Utah Jazz in your mind, I know you're joking around, but possibly not joking around, saying they're a dynasty. Hey, that could be the second one in the 90s because the Buffalo Bills four Super Bowls in a row. And I don't know how you go to four in a row and lose, but they happen to do that. The Jazz, late 90s, ran into Michael Jordan. It was almost inevitable. If you meet Mike in the finals, you're losing. Mm -hmm. And let me remind you guys, if Mike doesn't steal that – no, excuse me. If if Mike doesn't drive past Brian Russell for the layup, go to the other end and get a steal, we don't get the shot. There's a good chance that the Jazz do win that series. And so as much as it is, you say, oh, the Jazz just weren't that good. No, no. Go back and rewatch the series. Bill Simmons and Ryan Russell do a phenomenal job with Bill Simmons' podcast where they rewatch some of the Bulls series. And they're talking about, talking about things that the Bulls did 
and really just shining a light on, you mentioned the magic, and Penny Hardaway, shining a light on some of the things that the Bulls did well, did perfect, and then some of the flaws and some of those athletes that kind of um, pushed them down. Imagine this. Imagine if Dennis Rodman didn't come. What do you think happens to, to the Bulls in, in the 95-96 series? Oh, yeah. I mean, and that was the thing that Chicago, and going all the way back to Jerry Krause, did so well. If he's seen a weakness, he was able to find a weakness in series they won. And, you know, coming from a mixed martial arts and a fighting background, we always say, you know, you learn so much more from a loss than a win. And sometimes you're blinded by success. And when you win, you say, well, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Jerry Krause, one thing he did, and sometimes even got flamed for, was he would see them struggle. They would win, but they would struggle. And he'd fix it. He would say, we need this. We need more of a bruiser. We need a big guy down low. That's where Dennis Rodman came in. He thought they needed someone with more length, someone to kind of uh, compliment Scottie Pippen. Where they, you know, Scotty was really the long-armed guy. Everyone else was big and bulky. Boom. Let's go find a great European player. We found him. He was always able to find a piece they needed, which is hard to do when you're winning. He was able to do that. And, you know, honestly, Jay, I think, and again, you'd have to do a ton of research for this, and I don't work for ESPN or their uh, stats and stuff, but if you told me to sit down and put the 25 best NBA teams per, you know, by season in history, I think you would be amazed to see how many teams are on the top 20 that didn't win NBA titles because of yes. Michael Jordan. Some of those New York teams were great. That Orlando team was great. That Indiana team was great. That Utah Jazz team may be one of the top 10 best teams of all times and how they were put together. They played as a unit, maybe better than any team in NBA history. They were always on the same page. They did not make mistakes. They all played defense. In terms of what uh, Horsak did and what Byron Russell did and Carl Malone and John Stockton, always on the same page. Coached you know, by Cody, a legendary coach. They remind me a lot of the 04 Pistons, 03, 04 Pistons, yeah. because the way that, that team was put together, you think Ben Wallace, what, who was what, 6'7", maybe? Oh, yeah. Guarding big guys, guarding centers, and they couldn't do anything with them. Very similar to the Jazz back then in, the, in that stretch in the 90s. You had teams that didn't want to play them at all, and you would look and say, Stockton, Hornacek? They get off the airplane, you're like, I'm guarding that guy. Yeah. I'm, yeah, guard, yeah. I'm guarding him anyway. And you know when you say you're going to guard him, Stockton's like, okay, I ain't going to talk no trash. I'm going to be right there in your hip. I'm going to be picking pick your pocket. I want to make sure you score less than five points in the first half, and you're going to get a halftime thinking, that's a white boy. That's a white boy with short shorts. What is he? What is happening? But that's how they were together, a well-oiled machine. Yeah, and you know, at the time, a lot of people didn't consider Stockton and Carmelone real big superstars because, A, Utah was such a small market. Even as crazy as their fan base was, it was always a small market, and a lot of people still just thought, you know, maybe Carmelo and the fact that they never could get over that championship hump, that maybe they weren't superstar players. Same thing with Detroit. No one thought of Chauncey Billup, Rip Hamilton as superstars. People thought Rasheed Wallace as a character, didn't think of him as a superstar. People thought of Ben Wallace as a great defensive player, not as a superstar. But you put four players like that together, just like you put multiple big name players or multiple skilled players on Utah together they make such good teams and it just shows what Chicago had with that dynasty where they were able to have a superstar but so many key perfect role players that they could be maybe the best put together team in NBA history to never win a title and I mean you again I say if you pick up that Utah team and you put them in 2001, 2002, you put them in 2003, 2004, I think they present so many problems to the great teams then that they could have, I mean, and I mean, I want Stockton and Malone in their prime, not the late Stockton and Malone, I want them in their prime. I think they give a team like Detroit, I think they give a team like San Antonio Fitz. I think they are, I think they were that good, they just couldn't overcome, again, a championship pedigree that Chicago and, and Michael Jordan really and Phil Jackson had. 
the 90s basketball fan in me would have loved to have the scenario that you kind of put together. I'm just going to paint it a little different way. John Stockton versus Chauncey Billups. You have uh, a Jeff Hornacek versus a Rip Hamilton. That would have been great. You have um, probably you want to imagine Ben Wallace or Rasheed Wallace guarding Carl Malone. Oh, yeah. For a full game. Yeah. I mean, the, young, the fan in me, that's where I kind of fell in love with the NBA, that 90s basketball. And then you had that team there and that Pistons team. Sorry if you see my face, Cody. That Pistons team, that really made me upset, pissed me off because they made sure the Pacers, not just in 04 year, didn't win the finals, but the very next year they had to have a fan in the stands Throw a, throw a cup at Ron Artest while he's laying on the scores table. They messed it up for me. I was watching that game at home, and all of a sudden I look up, wow, they're throwing a cup at Ron Artest. Ron Artest, Steven Jackson, <laughs> then you got guys on the court. Hey, I wish Jermaine O'Neal would have connected a whole lot better because that would have been comedy for the rest of my life. It was, It's still comedy, but it can get even better. But that 0-4 Pistons team, even though they really piss me off and get under my skin and get me upset, because of how good the Pacers were. And the Pacers, and Reggie Miller will tell you, they believe that 0405 year was their year, but the Pistons kind of messed things up. But if you put that Jazz team versus that Pistons team, where it's all about defense, all about a unit, all about being a well-oiled machine, and when you have a game where it's 75 points, maybe the high between a six- or seven-game series, I love it. I, I'm pretty sure you love it. Oh, but yeah. kid, people, all people nowadays are like, why do you get so excited about that? defensive basketball on a well-oiled machine. You don't have to give me a, K- a Kyrie, a KD to get me to watch. Give me defense. Give me guys that are playing hard. I love a defensive battle in football, Cody, and I love a defensive battle in basketball. Oh, yeah, and it's a tr- – you know, I, one thing that Reggie Miller said in the documentary that we kind of chuckled at is he said that if we could score here, there was like five minutes and 30 seconds left that we could score here, we could win. And nowadays, I mean, that is so absurd because there's about a combined 29, 30 points scored in the last five minutes of any basketball game or any basketball quarter. But that's not how it was. And it was really uh, – it sounds odd, I know, but you'll understand this better than anybody. But it was – it meant – every point meant something. That was Every how, single second, it meant yeah. something. If one wrong tip, one wrong – if you tip the ball to your, uh, the opponent instead of yourself, it meant so much in those games. And that was, that's something that's not there nowadays. I mean, nowadays, these guys let each other score really until the four-minute mark, and then they're like, all right, let's play defense. And that's something that wasn't there then. So I agree. I, I think, you know, those, that Utah and that Detroit team would be a, a dream matchup between two of the really most underrated teams ever because you would have so many different things that maybe aren't the – pretty style of basketball today in terms of rip hamilton's off ball movement him getting open for shots and rashid's physicality down low against carmelone's physicality and you know which player that maybe we're not mentioning would step up and hit the shot because both teams had very solid benches as well so it would be such a, a fun series and you have two of the greatest coaches of all time with larry brown with detroit and then of course, of course jerry sloan another guy who's never really gonna get his due of how good of a coach he was because of the fact that he can never really get that team over that next time but in terms of not having any issues with guys on the bench i mean carl malone was a very unique personality and it didn't show that in the show where he there was a lot of things going on with carl malone where he was almost you know at times, he rubbed a lot of people the wrong way. John Stockton was very business approach, very on the forefront. But yet, you never heard any rumblings about people being unhappy in Utah, which is crazy because if a team nowadays in any sport loses much less one or two championship games, everything falls apart because people get upset and people blame somebody. There was never finger pointing in Utah. They always just you know came back the next year even tougher. And that was from you know, 96, 97 and 97, 98. Just keep it all together. Work harder. Let's do it again. And, you know, that's something you don't see now. I mean, there's a lot of things. And, again, you mentioned that question earlier, what a 10-year-old or what a younger person would see. Those are the things that really stand out to me is 
how so many of these teams didn't cry wolf and go run off play somewhere else. They went to the offseason and they got better and they came back as a better unit. And that's something you don't see a lot, not just in pro sports, really in any sports nowadays. I know we're reminiscing a little bit, um, but let's think a little bit. Oh, I lost my thought. Give me a second. I got to get this back in. Wow. Um, it was in my head. I didn't write it down. And then it left me. We are reminiscing about 90s basketball, the basketball that was happening at that time. But let's go back into the Bulls. What's one thing? Here it is. What's one person that you think would have been interviewed that was not? Or I, I, I'll, and I say that knowing that I don't know if the general public, those of you listening to this podcast, know about this. There were numerous people. There are people out there that the director, and I've watched him, a couple interviews with him on the Dan Patrick Show. He had tried for years. He'd been working on this project for three to four years. And then I know at the, probably about the year, year and a half mark, Michael Jordan gave the okay to start working on it. And there are players that were trying to get interviewed that declined. John Stockton was one that said yes. He was only on there for a hot second, but he said, I don't want to be a part of a Michael Jordan puff piece. And they had to ensure them that this was not going to be that. Was there a player? I got two things. Just one of them real quickly before, before we close. Was there a player that you would love to see interviewed or at least speak? Player, commentator, uh, reporter, doesn't really matter. Any person that you, that you wish you could have seen in the docuseries that was not seen? Uh, I'm trying to think back because there's been 10 episodes to make sure I, they weren't actually interviewed and I don't remember. I thought it which we talked about earlier that, you know, Michael was not a fan of that Orlando team. I would have loved to heard from Penny Hardaway and Shaquille O'Neal, especially in terms of how they played, you know, they, when Michael Jordan came back from baseball and they had their way in that series and how Michael said, well, I wasn't a hundred percent. I wasn't fully there. I wasn't, you know, fully in basketball shape. I'd love to hear her, their take on there. Um, I know Patrick Ewing was on there, but he didn't say a lot. And I know he had a lot of mixed feelings about being he didn't on want there, to be on it. To Stockton. He it didn't t- want to be it. there. Nope. But uh, I think really I would have learned, I would have loved to hear more from his kids. They were on the very last episode and that was surprising to me because I didn't know his kids were going to be on there at all. Uh, but they had, you know, they had very interesting uh, growing up situations. So while they didn't have a lot to do with the actual on on-court play, it would have been fun to hear them talk about their experience some, but I thought one of the things that made this documentary so good was that they did do so many interviews, even though some felt completely random and out of left field, there were so many different insights and takes. I think that's what made it such a good documentary, Jay, that, you know, it's hard right now to fathom who wasn't in it. I'm sure I'm missing somebody that I would have liked to hear from. Carl Malone, of course, I know why he wasn't in it because he doesn't <laughs> want to fluff him up, but he's one that I think would be a notable talent, which as crazy as it is that he wasn't on there talking, it was awesome to see him go on the team bus and congratulate That was amazing. That, that sort of changed the way I, I, I felt about Carl Malone. You know, there's been so many things said about him over the years, but I was like, man, for him to do that, because that's, that's the next level stuff. This guy has been beating you for over and over and over and over for years, and yet you're still going to go on the team bus. I thought that was pretty cool, but no, I think in terms of a big time documentary. This was one of the greatest in terms of they got so many people to give their insights. And that just, I mean, that, that shifts your mind on how you're thinking about, because it'd be one thing if this was a 10 hour Michael Jordan telling us what he thinks, because he's the greatest of all time, but he knows he's the greatest of all time. So Mm -hmm. it's good to hear other people talk about what he did and what he meant to the game. And some of the, the, you know, and, and one thing I do want to mention Jay is, uh, there's a lot of people who talk about a Kobe Bryant documentary similar And I don't think it would come across well because, A, I don't think, uh, you know, unless they've already started or they've already done most of it, without Kobe being able to sit down and talk about his career like Michael did, it wouldn't have the same effect. And, B, so many players were willing to get on there and sort of tell the truth about Michael Jordan and tell you 
He was a bully. He wasn't always the best teammate in terms of the way he handles certain situations. Sometimes it was a bit distracting that uh, he maybe that he was you know off gambling or doing whatever. Uh, it was it was hard to play with him at times for the way he was. I don't think a lot of Kobe Bryant teammates would be honest about playing with him now due to the fact that he tragically died. Yeah. And it's just the way it is when a certain event happens like that. And I think that would change the whole documentary. It almost become like, you know, a Kobe Bryant, you said it, a fluff piece where you're making him out to be, you know, the greatest of all time. He is, I'm not saying he's not, but anyone who knows anything about Kobe Bryant or anyone who's ever read Phil Jackson's book knows that Kobe Bryant was hard to deal with and maybe even harder than anyone ever dealt with Michael Jordan. He was set in his ways. He was, he had that same competitive nature as Michael Jordan. And it's so sad that he died due to just the fact that he died. But in terms of if there's one other athlete, I would love to just get inside their mind the way we just did with Michael Jordan. Kobe Bryant would be at the top of that list because he had that similar mindset maybe even a bit more so than Michael Jordan because he had no problem telling his teammates that, look, man, if you're not going to be better than this, I don't want you to play here, and I will make sure you don't play here much longer. Michael Jordan wasn't like that. He wanted to take you under his wing, even if it was you know, by bullying you a little bit. And try <laughs> to make, Yeah, and try to make you better. He wanted to make Scotty Burrell better. I, I really believe he wanted to make Scotty Burrell a better player. I feel like there was times late in Kobe Bryant's career where he looked at certain players and he goes, you don't have it in you. You're, you can't make it. You don't have that mob of mentality. You are not going to be great. I'm going to go to Jerry Buss tomorrow and, and, or go to Jenny Buss tomorrow, and we're going we're gonna to be done with this. We're, we're, this is going to be over. And, and he done that with players. He done that with Shaquille O'Neal, and he done that with Phil Jackson. So I would love, you know, more than anything to find out more about that whole situation. But after the tragic death, it's just one of those things where, you know, A, not being able to hear Kobe's perspective on all of it just isn't fair. And B, I don't think a lot of players and athletes would be honest. I don't think Shaquille O'Neal would give you his honest opinion on everything that happened uh, in the early 2000s since Kobe tragically died. You know, okay, so I'm going to piggyback off of that Patrick Ewing thing that I just said earlier. It's not that Patrick Ewing did not want to be on it. He is one of those players, like you uh, said very, very well. He had to be talked into it. Because they've had these battles, and if you go back on YouTube and just if you watch every single game of these series with the Knicks and the Bulls, or another team, the Knicks and the Pacers, or the um the the, the Bulls and the Magic, or the Bulls and the Jazz, or the Bulls and the Sonics, you're going to see it was a fight every single day. I watched the, the Dan Patrick show before I go to work every single day about the first 20 minutes, and then I head out of my apartment. So John Stockton, the director, said this. This is not just me hyperbole or me just speaking my opinion. The director said it took them two years to get John Stockton to say yes. They didn't interview John Stockton until March the 10th, and it's 2020. So remember now, this is around the time when COVID-19 hit our country, and they had to basically – the director was the director wanted to be there for the interview, but he was not able to be there because of the flight restrictions. So there was somebody already out there in Washington State was actually there to interview Stockton. We saw that Stockton's in an empty gymnasium. I mean, it's a great backdrop for an interview for a basketball documentary, but two years. Carl Malone went after Carl Malone for two years, even trying to get John Stockton to get him to say yes. But these guys, 20 years later, even Reggie Miller took him a long time to get there. These guys have such strong emotional feelings still tied to Michael Jordan. And I completely understand. I'm going to, I'm going to give my personal, I wish I could have seen and then give you my last thing first and then have you pick it up off of that. Um, so I would have, I would have liked to see, you mentioned his kid. I would like to listen to his wife because she had an insight that not any person was able to actually be able to, to get being his wife. Now, granted, you say, was Michael Jordan married during this time? Yeah, we saw his kids. They even talked about his mom and, and their feelings and them being in Utah. 
But yeah, I would love to see. I would love to see his wife. We saw his mom. Great insight, mom. Birth, and we all know how the moms love their kids, especially athletes. Um, and mom was there in his life. But I would have loved to see his wife and more family stuff because we saw we saw them in Space Jam. It's yeah. not like we haven't <laughs> seen them in Michael Jordan's life throughout this time on a public scene throughout this time during the '90s. But I would have loved to see that because she would have been able to give a a, a different point of view than any other person could have been able to see. And maybe she could have said Michael was a better person than this docuseries makes him out to be. Now, I do also understand, for those of you that may not know, Michael Jordan has then divorced his first wife. He is now remarried, now has twins with his new wife. So I do understand with Michael Jordan running this, I do understand the emotional ties, the family ties there. I completely understand why his wife was not there. Last but not least, Cody can go on forever. This has been fun. If I was able to see another docuseries, Maybe it's not 10 episodes, maybe it's eight, maybe it's five, but it's an extended version longer than a two-part like we're going to see from some 30 for 30s or a one-part like a 30 for 30 or E60. I would love to see a Tiger Woods docuseries, the time when he had the Tiger Slam. Because I think that time in his life, and I believe it was four major wins, I forget the time period, the years of that, you may have that at the top of your dome. But I would have loved to see that because Tiger Woods, maybe the most iconic maybe the most polarizing athlete after Michael Jordan that we have ever seen. Say what you want about Kobe. I'm a Kobe guy. Say what you want about LeBron. I have never seen a guy pull an entire race to one sport like Tiger Woods did. I have never seen a guy that did what Tiger Woods did and do it at that level at a time when everybody knows you're trying to get Tiger Woods down. And you think golfers talk trash, just like basketball players and football players, all that stuff. I would love, now I know it would be a lot. I know Tiger Woods, just like Mike, it would probably take a lot for him to get those emotions into, because I, he may have some stuff there with his family that he wants no one to know, just like Mike did. I completely understand it. But I would love to have and to see a Tiger Woods docuseries during that time period because of how special it was, just like the last three-peat that time with Michael in Chicago. What athlete, and I went first on purpose to give you some time to think about it, what athlete, or maybe even a team, I'll open it up so you can have more options than I did. Who would you like to see an extended docuseries on just like the last dance? Tiger Woods, of course, would be the first one. But if I if I do Tiger Woods, then he's got to be willing to open up about the the bad stuff too. Uh, of course, I want to know about the Tiger yeah. Major, but I need to hear about you know what happened on Thanksgiving, what happened with the car accident, what happened with the wife in the golf club. I need to know all about that. So if I if I wanted a Tiger Woods series, I need to know more about that too. Not just him being a great <laughs> golfer. Uh, I think I still go back to the Kobe one. You know, I think even with the fact that it couldn't be one hundred percent straightforward, I still think Kobe would be on the top of the list, even if that's just wishful thinking. Uh, I think for all the other ones now, if you want to, if you want me to give you some for the future, if we can jump ahead to 2030, then of course LeBron James will have one of the best ones as he's, I mean, of course, look, Michael Jordan, in my opinion, is the greatest of all time, but there has never been an athlete who is more hyped up, more well-received, more than hated, more than went and won anyway, more than orchestrated changing the sports landscape forever. And then more than never having, which knock on wood, but never having any sort of negative reputation. LeBron James would be at the top of that list. In terms, and here's the way I put it, and some people don't like when I say this, but I think it's 100% true. I think Michael Jordan is the greatest basketball player of all time. I think LeBron James is the greatest professional athlete of all time. In terms of his reputation, in terms of the things he does off the floor, in terms of the way he plays basketball, the way he's changed the game, and the way he's done things with the early Cleveland Cavaliers, and no one can even imagine. You can go back and look. Some of those Cleveland teams were god-awful teams 
terrible. And LeBron James <laughs> would take them to the Eastern Conference Final and then even to the NBA Finals. Those teams were terrible. I mean, awful. And I mean, to the fact where if he wasn't there, they maybe win 10 games, but he's there and they end up winning 50, 60 games. He changed basketball. And again, there's been so many athletes who have been so big coming out of high school and coming out of college, but people were calling him the next Michael Jordan when he was on the cover of Sports Illustrated at 16. Yes. If you can review, if you can start with episode one there, episode five at the decision, episode seven and eight, him winning with Miami, and then him going back to Cleveland, wrap it up with him winning in Cleveland, not even to mention what may happen over the next three to five years of his career. How crazy would it be if he actually gets to play one season with his son? I mean, what a career. And, and again, I, I say it all the time, and I believe it wholeheartedly. Who's the greatest basketball player of all time? Michael Jordan. Who's the greatest professional sports athlete of all time? LeBron James. Uh, so LeBron's one that I would watch, and I, would, I think I would love just as much as the Michael Jordan documentary. Uh, in terms of the ones I would watch now, and you mentioned that there's multiple parts. And that's, again, I know I said at the beginning of the podcast, I can watch a documentary about anything, about any athlete. If you want to show me a, a, you know, a two-hour documentary on the career of Gerald Wallace, I'm in, man. I want to watch it. <laughs> I want to watch it in great detail. Gerald Wallace, yeah. man. <laughs> tell, me, tell me about him going to Sacramento. Tell me about him being in the expansion draft and about being the Bobcats. I want to know. I will watch a documentary on about The dunk contest? Athletes. Hey, let's not forget about it. He no. can jump too. Oh, yeah. One of the great athletes of the, of the mid-2000s that was underrated. I mean, I, I will watch it. But you want me to watch, you know, five, six, seven, eight, nine episodes. I need to be – it needs to be stuff where I – I want to hear from you on what happened. So I will say this coming weekend, I'm super excited about Lance Armstrong because I want to hear if he lies or tells the truth because that could go in so many different ways. But uh, if I need to pick one right now, I'm going Barry Bonds. I want a sit down interview with Barry Bonds and I want it to be very detailed because, you know, they have the uh, Mark McGuire, Sammy Sosa documentary coming up and I'm excited to see that, but it's wild to me that, They've put the asterisk next to Barry Bonds' name on a lot of people's lists. They've crossed him out when, in all honesty, he played during an era when everyone was on steroids. And before, when he was this tall, skinny kid, before he really bulked up, he was still one of the most electric and exciting players in baseball. He was right there with Ken Griffey Jr. And then he just he just changed. He got bigger because everybody was getting bigger. He was in the outfield. He didn't need to be the superb athlete anymore. You can play left field. I mean, there was 275-pound left fielders at the time in baseball. So he thought to himself, well, they want to move me from the one spot to the three and four spot. I'm going to bulk up and become a power hitter. In terms of what he did in Major League Baseball, his whole career, and then the way he's just been so exiled, I mean, so just blacklisted for things that everybody did, for things that, I mean, pitchers were doing. And I, I said this, I think, over the weekend to my dad, and we were talking about the Mark McGuire Semi Sosa documentary, is I can't fathom how, I mean, even if you need to take Major League Baseball Hall of Fame and literally add a wing and call it the steroid wing, you should do it. And you should add all these players that made baseball America's pastime. Because look, when you took, I mean, some people don't want to hear this. When they took steroids out of baseball, you took about 50% of the fan base with it. Yes, you did. It, it just is not the same. And I think, you know, look, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying people should be steroid to do steroids. I'm not saying they should let steroids back in baseball. No, it's a clean sport. That's fine. I'm, you know, that's good. But I'm just saying, I think you can't just ignore those years in baseball. If you were a clean player during that era, you know, that's, that's good and dandy. And I understand if you're going to be mad, but look, what notable player from that era, maybe besides Ken Griffey Jr. 
that don't have a little bit of suspicion to them. So I love to have a big, long series with Barry Bonds. He was my favorite baseball player to watch. You know, he played for San Francisco. So those West Coast games were going until 11, 12 o'clock at night. But when he was chasing, you know, 762 home runs, man, I was staying up until 12 o'clock on a school night just hoping he'd hit one in the water. I would stay up late to watch that. It was the most captivating baseball thing to me at the time. Of course, I was always a, a basketball and football fan first. But, you know, I enjoyed watching the Atlanta Braves play, but there was never a situational thing that pulled me in more than Barry Bonds chasing down uh, the home run king, you know, trying to get those home runs. So I would love to sit down and interview with him. I would love to talk about his early days. I would hope he would open up about steroid use and how that came about and, you know, what he thinks about it. And then just the fact that he's been so exiled about the fact that, you know, he's kind of now inching back into baseball a little bit where Major League Baseball will let him back in. I think he might even be like a hitting coach or something now or something similar. But just the fact that, you know, people don't look at his numbers the way they should. And he's not looked at as an all-time great in many people's eyes. That would be one that I would watch tomorrow. I know a lot of documentaries that I would like to see. Of course, I know probably you agree. New England Patriots will be on there. Yep. Tom Brady, mm-hmm. Nick Saban's career would be on there. I mean, you could go so many different directions in documentaries. We'll all be watching in 10 years. But a Barry Bonds documentary that come out tomorrow, I would, that would captivate me. And I would, I, would watch it. I would watch a 10-part series on that if it existed. Yeah, you mentioned Nick Saban. You can go Urban Meyer. You can go an extensive look at the Owen Miami Hurricanes. Now, I understand oh, yeah. they did a 30 for 30 on it, but that team was so special. You go the they, now with the 30 for 30 was the whole Hurricanes thing from the 80s till the 2000s, the Larry Coker, Larry Coker time. They even added that because they even talked about how the downfall of the Hurricanes. And I hate, I, I'm a, I'm we I'm a I'm one of those fans that love stadiums. I dislike that the Orange Bowl was torn down. I yeah. wish that stadium would have been would have kept up and when they would have kept up with the upkeep would have been there. Yeah. We, we can go on and on. And maybe Cody, the next time we come on, we can just reminisce and talk about different docu-series we would like to see. Um it's obvious that we both have different ideas and things like that. Cody, very quickly, like two seconds. What do you think? What will be like your lasting impact of the of the docuseries um on your life? I think getting to learn about the competitive uh, competitiveness of Michael Jordan, you know, that was, you know, as good as the whole series was, I don't think that, you know, the end of episode seven will probably stay with me forever. You know, him, you know, they'll talk about his father and everything that happened there and him being strong and him just saying, you know, I, you know, I, I took it as a, a positive and I made something of it. But the fact that when asked if it bothered him, that he was sometimes perceived as not a nice person because of the way he was with his team. It's the fact that he broke down a bit explaining that, man, you know, I felt that because that's just something you don't see in sports nowadays. And honestly, either a, you never will again, or a lot of people will see that documentary and go, you know what? I'm done playing around. I'm done being buddy, buddy <laughs> with everybody. And it's time to change. So yeah, that, uh, that'll stay with me forever, man, is that he was so competitive and was so driven to win that it never even really occurred to him until he was doing that interview that some people kind of don't like you because of the way you were or not. I think in, you know, Michael's mind, it was, there was two sides of him. There was the competitive side and then his just everyday fun, loving, good time side. And I think that got to him and man, that got to me too. That was, that was one of the, one of the most like almost in a weird heart wrenching way where you just had to sit there and kind of think for a little bit, like, man, you know, that is the most competitive driven person maybe of all time. And it was wild to see, but yeah, I mean that, that part right there alone will stay with me. And just the the cool part of just getting to, experience Mike was if I was able to watch in the 90s again I'm you know five six seven years old growing up during this time so it was awesome to get to sit back and almost feel like I was there and I was I was getting to be a teenager watching Michael Jordan play again that that was really cool to me yeah I think the one last thing that I remember I think will have a lasting impact on my life you mentioned the competitiveness 
but just be being able to, at any point in my life, go back and relive these moments. The, the dream team we talked about, the, 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 the Pacers series, the Jazz series. Go back and look and see early, Mike, even the Dean Smith, the, the Bob Knight, the Roy Williams, how even early on in Mike's career, people had a feeling he would be great. He was great. He continued that greatness throughout the entirety of his career. You can say whatever you want about Michael Jordan on the Wizards. That man had 40-point games in Washington at 40 years old. He was killing people. Yeah. Cody, my man, this is fun. We'll definitely have you back, back on again. Um, thank you for coming back on and just reminiscing a little bit about Michael Jordan here on the Jay Stevens Podcast. Hey, man, I appreciate it. Anytime. Thanks for having me, Jay. Gosh, guys, that was fun. Chopping it up with Cody Gwynn as we recap the last dance was fun. That docuseries was possibly one of the best, excuse me, it was the best I've ever watched. I am not a big documentary guy. I've watched quite a few of them, the 30 for 30s being the main ones. And from the ones that I have watched, The Last Dance was literally the best one I have ever watched in my lifetime. But that may change. 30 for 30 does a phenomenal job with their documentaries they put out. And they have some more for us to watch right now. The Lance Armstrong documentary. The Bruce Lee documentary. The Summer of 98 documentary. Between the Sammy Sosa, Mark McGuire home run race. Yes, there's more documentaries for us to watch. And you know what? We're going to gravitate towards those things. Because we can make that appointment television. People were live streaming the Phil Mickelson, Tiger Woods, Peyton Manning, Tom Brady golf match on Sunday. Guys, we are longing. We are thirsty. You know how it is. You know that girl you really want. You thirsty for her. Sometimes some of those sports fans right now, we are that thirsty to get sports back into our life. And so thank you, 30 for 30. Thank you, ESPN, for putting this together. Yes, we know it's not live sports, but it's still something that as sports fans, we can look forward to and say, hey, that's on television, that's appointment TV, no phone calls, no text during this time, because this is that big. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Jay Stevens Podcast. As always, you can follow me on Twitter at jstevens07. If you would love to connect with the show, but you do not, have a Twitter account, send your emails to jstevenspod at gmail.com. Remember to always subscribe, rate, and review. It's a great way for people that search for new podcasts to listen to to come across this one. Then remember to always get the word out about the podcast via word of mouth. The things that we enjoy in life, we are more willing and somewhat wired to tell other people about. So no matter if this was your first episode or if you have been listening since episode number one, be sure to people know about the podcast. This has been episode 9-6 of... The JT with Podcast. I'll see you next time. Yo, what's good? It's your boy CJ King. Look, and I'm rocking with the homie Rick Sincere. I'm going to need y'all to keep it locked right here on MTMV Sports.